Well, show of hands and no judgment, who has at least one New Year's resolution? Looking around the room, some honesty, I like it. I'm not going to ask you to say out loud what it is, don't worry. I was wondering if people still made New Year's resolutions. And then last night, I was sitting around a table with a bunch of friends, and they were going around the table sharing their New Year's resolutions. So sure enough, people still make them. It's still a thing. I personally haven't really practiced that in quite some time, but it is that time of year where one year ends, a new year begins, and people start to think, what's not working? And what change should we make in our lives? And so we start to make changes. We start to get on a new workout plan or get on a new diet. We join a new gym. We decide this is the year we're finally going to give up Diet Coke or finally get off Facebook. Right? We decide to institute new practices. We take up journaling or studying or praying in a different way. We make different kinds of commitments. We decide to get out of that relationship we've always meant to get out of or get on that dating app for the first time. What happens is we make resolutions because we have some image of ourselves or some image of who we want to be or some image of who we should be. And yet our everyday lives, our everyday realities don't quite match up with that image of who we think we should be. There's not alignment. And so we think if we just make this one simple behavioral change, then we might become the person we always wanted to be, the person we always thought we should be. But what inevitably happens is we make these commitments and these promises and these changes, and then in a short period of time, we quit them. We're five days in. Some of you have already quit your New Year's resolutions. I won't ask you to point fingers. Or we follow through with them for some time, and we find that ultimately they don't deliver on the promise. It is the perfect time of year for us to start this series out of joint, finding alignment in Christ. We're going to spend the next eight weeks as a church family looking at the letter to Ephesians together. So on your way in, you should have received one of these journal Bibles. If you didn't get one, we want everybody who will engage with the sermon. So every adult, teen, or child, if you want a journal Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have one, the ushers will come and drop one off for you. We thought there was no better way to kick off the year as a church than to be immersed in God's Word together studying scripture. And so we're going to be looking at the letter to Ephesians. You have the entire thing here in this little book. Now, the letter to the Ephesians is named after the town of Ephesus. Ephesus was an ancient Roman city in Asia Minor, what is modern day Turkey. It was a prominent affluent city. It was the home to one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Greek temple of Artemis. And though the letter is titled to Ephesus, and the opening words write it to the saints at Ephesus, what we know from history is that this letter actually served as more of a general writing, a general letter to be circulated among churches in the area. It was written by a man named Paul. Now, if you don't know the story of Paul, he was once one of the worst persecutors of the early Jesus followers, tracking them down, putting them in prison, making them suffer for following Jesus. 
And then in the book of Acts, you can read, he had this dramatic conversion experience where he started to follow Jesus. And now he himself is in a Roman jail cell, jail cell writing this letter. And so the letter you're holding was written by a man named Paul in prison, writing to the churches, helping them understand how do they live out their faith. The question facing the church in Ephesus was the same question that faces us. You see, they had believed that God had done something amazing in the life of Jesus Christ, something that changed their lives and changed the world, but they did not know how to live in response to it. And so the question being asked was, how do we align our lives with this thing that God has done? How does a relationship with Jesus offer our lives alignment? That's the question we're wrestling with here today. And so take out your journal Bibles and turn to Ephesians 1. We're going to look at 3 through 14. Turn to the first chapter. We're going to look at 3 through 14. Now, I'm going to warn you that this is an incredibly complex and dense and theologically rich passage. As you read it, all the words will just fly by like, what is going on? There's so much. And here's what's happening. This entire passage, 3 through 14, in the original Greek was one sentence. 202 words. Kids, this is what we call a run-on sentence. Your teachers don't love them. But Paul is writing, and he gets so caught up talking about how good God has been to them and how good God is to them right now and what God desires to do in their life that he cannot stop from like bursting forth in praise. And so he goes on and on and on talking about the things that God has done. And so we're going to ask, what does it mean to be aligned to it? And we're going to find out it's only in Christ that we can live aligned with what God has done for us. And we're going to see that in this passage today. So let's start in verse 3. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So let's pause there. In your journal Bibles, I want you to take a pen or a pencil, and I'm going to ask you to interact with this a ton today, but I want you to start by writing the words, in Christ, somewhere at the top of one of these pages. Just write the phrase, in Christ. (coughs) These two words, in Christ, are absolutely crucial to our understanding of this text and of the letter to the Ephesians. Some version of the phrase in Christ shows up 11 times in these verses here today. In Christ. Now, what image should you have in your heads as you hear the phrase in Christ? Well, have you ever driven a car or a truck with a trailer behind it? When Ashley and I first got married, we moved from Alabama to Oregon, and we took every single thing we owned in the world, 
and put it in a U-Haul trailer, hooked it up to a GMC Jimmy, and drove across the country. It took us two weeks. We stopped to see family in Louisiana and Texas and Colorado and Montana. We just made our way across the country. And everywhere we went, that trailer went with us. And I'll be completely honest. I was a little nervous. If I took that trailer off somewhere, I didn't know if I could get it back on. So I just left it attached until we got to our final destination. But everywhere we went, the trailer was hooked to us. In Christ means that your life is now hooked to Jesus. Everywhere you go, Jesus is with you. But let's be really clear. Jesus is the vehicle and you're the trailer, not the other way around. That's where Jesus has you connected to him. So everywhere you go, you can imagine that Jesus has you there on purpose. Now, I know we have elementary kids here with us today because of communion, and so I'm going to challenge elementary school kids. If you would draw for me a picture of a car or a truck pulling a trailer, because this image is crucial to our understanding what it means for our lives to be aligned to Christ. And after the service, if if you'll come show me your artwork, I would be delighted to see it. So verse five tells us the first place Jesus takes us after we are connected to Christ. In your journal, I want you to underline in verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. If you're hooked to Jesus, if you're connected to Jesus, you're also hooked to God's people. The Apostle Paul here uses the imagery of adoption as sons. Now, many of us know of what adoption is. We have an image in our heads of what adoption looks like. But in the ancient Roman world, the most common form of adoption was if a servant in a family was then brought into the family as a full son or daughter. It would be adopted into the family. Now, that's an important distinction because if you're a servant in the family— Your value lies in what you contribute to the family. But if you're a son or a daughter, you're valuable just because you're a member of the family. And so when Jesus hooks us to God's people, he declares us to be not valuable based on what we can produce, but based on who he declares that we are. He declares you are a child of God. This is actually why this verse uses the word predestination. Now, There have been lots of theological arguments over over the years about this word. Lots of ink spilled by pastors and theologians about the word predestination. But in this text, this word really just serves to show beyond a shadow of a doubt that you did not move towards Jesus' family. Jesus came and got you. He moved towards you when you could not move towards him, and he hooked you in to God's family. The purpose of the word is to show that this is something God has done, not something you've done. So Jesus has hooked us into God's family. But that's not the only place that he takes us. Let's pick back up in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, in Jesus, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness 
of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pause right there. In your Bibles, circle the words redemption and forgiveness. Circle redemption and forgiveness. A few years ago, I was out on a run with some friends, and I felt this tightness in my hamstring. So this long muscle in the back of my leg, I was running along, and I just felt the tightness. And it hurt a little bit, but it didn't hurt so much that I stopped running. I thought, it'll go away. So I kept running. The next time I ran, it was tight again. The next time I ran, it was tight. And so for weeks, I ran with this tightness in my hamstring. And I really thought, at some point, it'll just go away. And then I was out on a run, and I took a step. And it was like someone took a sledgehammer and just swung it through my knee. And my knee collapsed, and I fell on the ground. And it ended up in surgery and months off of running. So what started as an injury in one part of my leg moved to a different part of my leg and caused me to have a major injury. And I didn't even know that was possible until it happened. But my knee was compensating for the injury somewhere else. You see, the things in our lives that are out of order, the things in our lives that are toxic, the things in our lives that are broken, do not stay contained. They spread They infect other parts of our lives. They infect our relationships with others, with all those we come in contact with. What are the things in your life that are out of alignment, that are out of order, that you know that you need Jesus to call out and to realign, to set straight? If our lives are going to be aligned with Christ, we need Jesus to heal and forgive and redeem all the parts of our lives. But the good news is, you are now connected to Christ. And everywhere Jesus goes, you go. So that means you go with him to his death and to the grave and to resurrection and new life. Everywhere Jesus goes, he takes you with him. So on his, in his death, On the cross and in his resurrection, Jesus is dealing with all the parts of our lives that need to be brought into alignment. He puts our lives in order by intentionally addressing the parts of our lives that are out of order. Jesus wants your life to be aligned with his because Jesus wants the whole world to be aligned with him. Underline in in your Bible, underline the phrase, unite all things in him in verse 10. Unite all things in him. The Greek word for unite all things meant when an author would get done with the writing and she would summarize all of the major points. Unite all things to summarize all the major points. Because what Jesus is doing in your life, in your life, in your life, in my life, he wants to summarize into this great big thing that he's doing in the world, that Jesus came to put your life in order, but he also came to put the whole world in order. 
And when he puts your life in order, he's calling you into a better future, into a future and a way of life that is connected to Christ. And he picks back up in verse 11 to tell us what that future looks like. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we'll stop right there. In verse 11, underline the word inheritance. Underline the word inheritance. When I hear the word inheritance, it's easy for me to think about a monetary transaction, that some funds get transferred from one account to another. But in the ancient world, an inheritance primarily looked like the transfer of a major possession, like land or property or livestock. And it's an important distinction to make because if a family member passes and leaves us a monetary inheritance, it often gets swapped over to us. We have to think about where it goes. Maybe our financial people get involved in making decisions. But by and large, most of us would set it aside to be dealt with and used at a later date. But in the ancient world, if you inherited a farm today, guess what you have? A farm to work. You have fields to plow. You have cows to take care of. When you inherited property, you had to take care of it right away. An inheritance in the ancient world would have changed things immediately. My grandmother, who we were just with at Christmas a few days ago, my grandmother has this amazing older car. And my twin brother and I would both love to have this car. And we jokingly let her know all the time that we would love to have this car. Now, if my grandmother called me today and said, Petey, you can have the car. First, I would call my brother and give him a hard time. But I would not say thank you and put the phone down and then go about my life and forget about it. Before I even got off the phone, I would start making plans to get behind the wheel of that car as soon as possible. When Jesus hooks you to God's inheritance for your life, it changes your life right now. Paul might ask, what are you waiting for? It's yours. Dig in. Enjoy it. When you get an inheritance, you normally get proof. You get some type of a documentation or a bank deposit slip. So in your journal Bible, underline Right before verse 14, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What is the proof? What is the guarantee that your inheritance in God is actually real? What's the proof that it's yours? What's the proof that it works? You know, with the car, 
I'll know it's mine and that it works when I take the keys and I sit behind the wheel and I start the ignition and I drive the car. Paul is telling them, God has given you everything you need to try out your new faith in Christ. Try it out. Take it for a drive. Put it to practice. Your faith is meant to be lived, and it's meant to be lived in the here and now. When you try it out, you'll discover that it works, that it's real, and that your life will result to the praise of his glory, the praise of God's glory. So the last thing I want you to do in the journal Bible is to circle the phrase, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, how he ends the passage. Wherever you go, remember the trailer. Remember the trailer. Wherever you go, Jesus goes with you. Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. Whether you're sitting in this church, or sitting in your home, or in your office downtown, or in your elementary school classroom, whether you're at the hockey association meeting, or on the soccer field, Christ is with you. Wherever you go, you are in Christ. And if you're looking for an aligned life, an aligned life is a life of praise that works itself out in acts of blessing and praise wherever you go, wherever you find yourself. So I want to challenge you as a result of what God has done in your life. I want to challenge you to see that your life is meant for praise. Your life, wherever you are, on good days and bad days, your life is meant for praise. Wherever you find yourself, God has put you there so that you might live a life of praise and blessing that other people would see what a life fully aligned with Jesus looks like to live out your inheritance in the here and now. If you're looking for an aligned life this new year, if you're seeking to be connected with what Jesus has for you and what Jesus wants for you, it's only in Christ. It's only in Christ that we can live aligned with what God has done for us. When you're in Christ, when you're hooked to him, It changes your life. It changes the possibilities for your present. And it changes the possibilities for your future. You are in Christ. And Christ is in you. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we come before you thanking you for what you've done, for how you've loved us in Jesus, for the ways in which you have offered us your blessings and called us to a life of praise. We thank you for the redemption and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I pray that each and every one of us would wrestle deeply with what it means to have a life that is aligned with Jesus. So God, be at work in our lives. Speak to us and woo us into your calling on us. God, we thank you so much for all the ways that you love us. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen.